You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! to the great Barry Michael, who's uh, sitting opposite us, uh, Susan. Uh, you know Barry Michael? I do know Barry. Yes, you've yeah. had a little to do with him. I well, just wanted to mention, because uh, uh, Barry knows, uh, knew the late Ron Barassi indirectly because he did a bit of uh, sparring and work with him out at North Melbourne. But I just wanted to mention, which I haven't so far, um, mentioned um, I went to Ron's memorial service, uh, which was uh, fantastic. Um, some very eminent speakers there. Uh, I'm not sure why the Premier spoke, but maybe she spoke because she was paying for it. I don't know. Um, we had a lot of people speak. Um, incidentally, um, um, we had two welcomes to country while we were there. Two welcome to countries. And a, uh, a, a lass, a woman, uh, auntie someone, I don't know, she spoke. And then we had a very, very fine didgeridoo player. He played. Uh, so we had four cracks at the welcome to country and the indigenous... Um, uh, indigenous but it was a good farewell to him, wasn't it? It was good. Yeah. I'm not, not sure what the relevance of all those uh, people doing that was, but uh, that's good. And then they said that Ron... Um, uh, was uh, at, at one with uh, Aboriginal um, footballers, of course, and uh, and nurtured them. Of course, we all with uh, we're all uh, at one with Aboriginal sportsmen and people. I don't know why they mentioned that. Uh, Ron maybe was at one with them because they played football for him, like everyone else. I don't so so they been on the act as well there. So that didn't matter. So that was good uh, and. Um, what I was fascinated by at the funeral was that Ron was previously married to a woman called Nancy who was never mentioned. She was the mother of his three kids. Uh, Ron Jr. spoke beautifully, fantastic, got a standing ovation at uh, his uh, obituary to Ron. Never mentioned his mother. I, I, I just don't understand why Ron's... Former wife wasn't mentioned, or someone. Uh, I didn't understand that. Seeing as she was the mother of his three kids, who were there, well, you I spoke, didn't you? Well, I, you I did say some pleasant words, uh, didn't you? Well, that's that, it's very easy to speak pleasantly about someone, pleasantly about someone, if you don't have to make it up. Uh, no, but I, I did a piece to camera and uh, some very good speakers. Uh, Sam Kekovich uh, spoke about his times at North Melbourne. Um, Paul Kelly spoke about his time at uh, the Swans. And who spoke about his time at Melbourne? Um, uh, but you Stephen have a lot Smith. Of, you have a lot of fond memories. I have a lot of fond memories of Ron. Of Ron? And... Uh, um, I, if I was going to, uh, there was some just humorous things that Rex Hunt and I uh, had, the, the great Rex Hunt, we had some uh, fantastic times with Ron in the commentary box, but um, probably it wasn't a time to um, speak lightheartedly of Ron because it got pretty serious, but it was a very good day, a very good day. Um, as I say, I'm not sure they didn't mention about, uh, anyhow, they didn't, they didn't mention about who Ron was married to, and he was married to the great Cheryl, who I know, don't know well, but I know. So it was a very good day. Uh, so that was that. And now just finally, before we get into, I uh, just wanted to mention quickly, um, 
wanted to mention quickly the shout outs. Where, where's the oh. book? Where's the book gone, Sue? Where like have, right have I written the sh- where have I written the sh- shout outs down? Is I wrote here? them down. Here. It's been a it's been, I've been disoriented. No, where did I write them down? God, Come on, fuck me dead. Where the <laughs> fuck did I write them down? Here we are. Now, this is from michaelchristianmenswear.com. Now, michaelchristianmenswear.com. If you want to buy or get the You Cannot Be Serious caps or the T-shirts, there's some available, and the first 24 orders, 24, he's still working in the old imperial, uh, Not we're not into decimals, the first 20, it's the first two dozen, uh, we will give you now, I know you're thinking that they're making light of this and this is how trivial is this, but he's going to give you a free stubby holder with you cannot be... How good is that? Buy uh, one, get going free. Buy, <laughs> buy, if you buy anything for a Christmas, what a gift that would be. You cannot be serious T-shirts or caps. I don't think we've got any of the no-vote caps left, but they went out like hot cakes, as they say. So, um, and you get a free stubby holder if you just want to get... Uh, Mick's got... Not much stock left, to be honest, but um, there's been a very big run on all the uh, You Cannot Be Serious. Uh, Why is par- it called Stubby Holder? Because you what? Because you put a stubby in it and you don't have to wrap your hand around it. But and you make could put a can in it. Why is it a stubby? Well, a can holder, it's a, it's a stubby holder because when they bought stubbies out in bottles, instead of wrapping your hand around and making the beer warm... The stubby, you know, I know what it's for. Well I, I just wanted to know the name of it. Oh, well, like, Jesus. Thank you, Don. Um, so we're giving a shout-out to Rhett Heffernan of Tully in Queensland. Rhett Heffernan and Kate Save. Did I tell you about Kate Save's B-Fit Food? No, she has didn't. got specials coming out her... Coming out her warehouse, <laughs> coming out her warehouse specials, um, and um, we are a we are a part owner of. We're not a part owner. We're a subscriber. We're a shareholder. Yeah, no, we because we like to put our money where our mouth is. No pun intended. But Beefit Food is uh, fantastic. If you are looking to, um, uh, well, I wonder how her challenges are going. Didn't she? Wasn't she on some scout to get some yes, people? Yes, she on hasn't her told us about how her challenges we'll have to get are an going. But Don used to uh, pump her for information. But um, I haven't. Uh, I haven't heard from Kate through Don. I haven't heard from Don through Don. So um, uh, the doctor Ben was uh, trying to. I'll have to give him a project to do. <laughs> yes, well, he gave you so that was that. So that's uh, beef at food, and um, uh, you cannot be serious. MichaelChristianMenswear.com. So, sitting opposite me is the great Barry Michael. And uh, Barry is in here for a number of reasons. He, he probably doesn't know some of the other reasons he's in here for, but uh, predominantly because we spoke to a bloke called Dr. Robbie Peterson. A couple of with it's about the third time we've spoken to Dr. Robbie Peterson because he's been right on to the COVID vaccines and their deleterious effects, and he's been um, that the, uh, that the COVID vaccine has had, and he's been put off social media. He's been labelled as disinformation, but what he has said has started to become absolutely common knowledge. And now being he has been vindicated by his stance on all this uh, vaccines from Moderna, AstraZeneca and Pfizer. 
and we can we we will we will cover this now. We'll get on to Barry Michaels, um, the rest of what he does, because he 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 stood for the Palmer United Party in the Senate in 2013. He had that great infamous fight with Lester Ellison in 1985. He uh, was the IBF super featherweight title holder. Um, he, he, he was the, he was the, won the Ooh. IBF title, uh, the super featherweight title. Uh, he is an an, a boxing analyst for um, uh, Fox Sport, which I watch all the time when he's on. I see him a lot, him and Jeff Fennick. Don't know how he gets on with Jeff. I hope he gets on well with him because Jeff's Check a good Check this boy. out. Uh, Have a look at that. So, so this is uh, – Barry has just passed over a ring – uh, that is a uh, ring that you wear on your finger. It's one of those. Uh, That's what a ring is for—to put on your <coughs> finger. Well, uh, you know, no one could have. No one could have been a ring that you it's put through your nose. It's not even going to fit on your hand. Uh, Sam, <laughs> let me tell you, it was for making three successful world title defences over two years while I was world champion. So they flew me over to Long Beach early last year to present it to me. It only took them thirty-seven years, but um, I've you know finally got the recognition of making three successful defences, which is something they bought in relatively recently so yeah i was very honored to be flown over and to uh to be presented that in long beach california so they give rings to the um nf they give rings to the nfl players don't they nba no they give no the (laughs) The basketballers or is it the i think they get rings the the national the gridiron players the national football league i think they give them uh, uh premiership rings and they might give the basketballers and I was over at a function in Tasmania with Jeff Fennick and he was awarded a, you might be able to fill me in here, he was awarded a, um, a, a championship. He was awarded a long time after he won it and they said that it was he was disqualified or he was done out of it by a corrupt judge. Yeah, they did, called did you, well, mate, um, he, he explained that to me and he was very delighted, like, you got the ring... A long time after you you were should have received it, he was given another title or something. A long time after, yeah, it was the fight with the Zoom and Elsa, and the first one which they called a draw, which was in Las Vegas, which uh, Don the famous Don King promoted it, and Jeff undoubtedly won it. And uh, you know, nearly thirty five plus years later, they changed the decision and said he was and, the... and gave it to Jeff. But I mean, it's to be honest with you, good luck to Jeff. But it set up a precedent, I think. Because there's been so many bad decisions yep. in history, and you know we've all been on the end of them. I got, I won in uh, Indonesia. My dad reckons I won 11 out of 12 rounds. I thought I won 10. And I got a draw over there. That was yep. for the OPBF title, which was a fairly significant title back then. But you know, there's going to be because of what happened with Jeff. There's going to be other fights that will have to be scrutinised and looked at and maybe reversed as well. And I think it's set a dangerous precedent. I think there'll be a lot of legal challenges and a lot of Money, you know, can be passed. It could cost a lot of lot of money to some of these boxing bodies because there's been so many bad decisions over the decades. So I watch fights. I'm a, I love the boxing, and I I, I, I watch them. And watch you do do it, and Jeff, and I watch the overseas ones with um, Lennon. What's his name, Mr. Lennon, who introduces them all? Or Tyson Fury. Is he Tyson no, Fury's what's his last? Jimmy so Lennon. Jimmy Jim, Lennon. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy's Jimmy. Fan, Jimmy's yeah, no, fan. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble. That's right. <laughs> Uh, and I watch them, and I'm. I you can tell if someone's winning a fight, and I yeah, say that that's one, and yeah. suddenly they say it's, and you think, how does that happen? Yeah. I mean, just from the layman watching it, and the problem mm. is, 
that people, are, if someone's from Mexico, they have a Mexican judge, and if someone's from America, they have an American judge, and uh, how, 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 how do you make sure that you have an yeah. unbiased people that aren't got at or bribed? Exactly. Or it's very frustrating. It's, you know, it's happens a, in all sport. It, it's a, well, but in boxing, it's a two-horse race. You only have to get to one person. You don't even have to get to say, say you know, say That's I, true. Say someone, and I was approached to throw uh, three or four fights, which you know, I told them all to get stuffed, well and truly, because it disgusts me to be honest. And I, you know, any fighter that lays down, um, you know, I just, I just can't understand it. To be so, honest. so you were approached to throw some fights, and I presume there was some. Big money in it for you to do that? The biggest offer was um, when I was world champion, in, it would have been about 80, 85 or 86. I just defended against Mark Fernandez, who was number four. I knocked him out in four rounds at Festival Hall. he just beaten Rod Sequenen. And um, how can I put this? This pr- promoter from Europe came to Australia to watch me fight, insisted on taking me out for lunch afterwards and made me a couple of offers, one on the level to fight his fighter in Denmark. Uh, and to lose it, leave the title in Denmark, but um, told me lose the fight, lose the t- le- fight in Denmark, so yeah. that the title holder was, and then give you a rematch. No, we no? didn't. No, no, because his fighter couldn't even make the weight that yep. anywhere near what uh, what the super featherweight division was. Um, he offered me three hundred thousand US paid in when in nineteen eighty five or six. A lot so of money. A lot of money. Yeah, probably about three million now. Yeah. Um, it was tempting, but I could, I just couldn't consider it. I so when do you it. say it's tempting, so you could, okay, you could lose the fight, and then would that be on the proviso, or there was no proviso that you could fight again for real no, and uh, he, he win the title he, back? He, he said, "My boy cannot beat you." He said, "I came here expecting to see an tired old fighter because I was thirty-one at the time, and I was, you know, I blasted uh, Fernandez out of there quickly, which I thought was going to be a very tough fight." And, um, yeah, he just, he just was very honest. He said, I know you've never been knocked off your feet. You can retire in the corner. You can say you've got a busted eardrum. I'll have mm. a doctor verify. He had everything covered. Wow. But he said, my boy can't make the weight. The weight limit was 58.95, which was, was a nightmare for me too. I said, what's the lightest he can make? He says 63.5. So the, but the scales would have been figged. Everything was going to be rigged. And, you know, but I had to leave the title in Denmark. So, so Barry... Uh, there's an old saying, um, uh, we're only talking about the price now. Everyone has a price. What would they have offered you to uh, throw the fight? What would they? What do you mean? Well, no, what would you have accepted? <laughs> what would you have actually seriously <laughs> thought about? So if someone said, we'll give you a million dollars. No, I don't think I could have done it. It was just seriously against my principle. And of, course, of course it is, Barry. You know, but my th- in my the three, end... My three biggest offers were to um, throw fights. I can mention one other, which was Lucky Gadolari yes. um, in the 70s. Uh, he made a comeback and uh, I was getting $1,500 to defend the Australian title, which was about standard back then. He offered me 15000 after the weigh-in. To, to lose to him and I said, told him to F off. <laughs> well, you would. I dropped him a couple of times and he quit in the corner. So, And he's recently just got out of jail, I believe. Too. So I'm only being the devil's advocate here, Barry. But you, you know, I understand what you're saying. No, I'm only Sam. being the devil's advocate. So if, if you're profession and you are a star and that is your trade... And someone's and you want to capitalise on your trade, and someone says, "Oh, I'll give you a lot of money to throw a fight, or just to sit and say you've got a busted eardrum, or you're not feeling well, or something." Um, and you say, "Well, I may as well use what I'm good at to uh, earn, uh, set myself up." Mm. Uh, if I, 
that wasn't my last fight. If I could come back and redeem myself, uh, no one I, would know that you threw the fight, but I'd come back and re-challenge the person and win yeah, it back. Morally, I couldn't do it. <laughs> no, you couldn't. I couldn't. Of course. I just couldn't do it. Um, Happens just, a bit? It does happen. You know, as I said... Still? It's, Yes, it's a, yes, it does, and I, I won't go into that too much. But uh, no, uh, we we won't for obvious it, reasons. But it happens quite a bit, does it? Yes. And w- w- would we? So these might be some of the fights that I say. How did that man lose that fight, or that woman? How did that person lose that fight? And that might have been one of the times that someone was got at. Yeah, I've seen. You know, over the decades, I've seen quite a few fights that I've you know thought, well, that's dubious and you know something's something's gone on behind the scenes there and it's it's undoubtedly true but again you're trying to prove it and trying to um you know charge someone over it is another thing you know it's, it wouldn't uh, be wouldn't be easy are you a, is there any ramification if you don't take up the fight have you any had any recourse or anything from it what do you mean when you say no obviously you tell oh, them to go no no not at all they don't do anything they no. don't follow up or anything no no because the, the the guy that i was offered to fight in denmark wasn't even even anywhere near the, the rankings at my weight and it wasn't a mandatory contender i didn't have to fight him at any for any anything if you had a, the only time you have to fight someone is when someone gets a number one you have to fight the number one probably once a year you can in them after you, you beat him you can and i fought my first defense i I fought in Darwin, I fought Jin Sik Choi, who I think he had 19 yeah, fights. Yeah, I saw that, yep. At 17 KOs or something. I signed for 140 grand. Uh, the promoter's name was Ian Crawford from South Australia. <coughs> after the fight, I knocked the bloke out in four rounds, but he hit me with some bombs, and he retired after the, vi- the fight. The promoter, I never saw him again. He got off a plane in Adelaide and said, I'll be in the solicitor's office next week to settle up. Never saw the prick again, excuse the French. And he bankrupted himself and sent me a cheque for five grand. So I've never, I've, I loved Darwin while I was there, but I've never been back. <laughs> Is that right? So yes. the man... Uh, me, well and truly. So uh, I suppose... And I've got to tell you this, Sam, this true story. The great Leo... Um, Leo McDonald, who was one of my management team, I was managed by some colourful identities at that stage. Let's say Spider Holman, Leo the Lout McDonald, Leo Berry, and a guy called Jeff Patterson. There's a book on his called What a Life, The Life and Times of Jeff Patterson. Um, they, you know, they did a lot for me, and they put pressure on him. And he went underground in Adelaide, and he was. Um, Let's see how, how can I put this. He was growing a hydroponic crop, yep. and he used to Leo, who passed away last year, used to ring me, and I used to meet him in different pubs, and he would show me what was going on with this, you know, this yeah. payment which was coming, and what what the what Crawford was doing, and um, fortunately, one of my sparring partners was a senior, very high up policeman, and he found out that I was on the verge of being charged with conspiracy conspiracy to traffic i mean I, I had nothing to do with it i was just trying to get my money yep. and he said no barry's got nothing to do with it. he just wants his money so they arrested the guy and that was the end of it there was never any more talk of me getting paid again so is he still on the scene mr crawford um never ever he's dead he died he's dead. well that's he died. thankfully yeah. <laughs> yeah well that's right so fascinates me on who like they call them what matchmakers yep and when they put fighters with fighters and it's an interesting one where I think sometimes the matchmakers put on fights they know that they're, they're yes, fighters. It's, yeah. That's a rot too, isn't it? Well, it, to be honest with you, and I won't mention any names, but there's too many. I, I like going. I love going to a boxing promotion where I know the fights are well matched. Yep. You're going to have great fights, but there just seems to be this um, 
this trend over the last decade or so where they just build fighters up fighting dud after dud. You know, yep. you, you can go tick, tick, tick. I know every winner before the start of the show and it's really not a good thing the biggest insult is to the audience i i watch as i say i'm very keen boxing fan and i watch it and you can tell after 30 seconds this is ridiculous this bloke one of them can't fight and and that's an insult to the people it is well mind you if you don't pay to watch it that's different but if you just well, you know, watch I mean, the boxing. You think, well, you just people turn do it pay, off. People do pay big money to go to the fights live, and yeah, they they deserve better sometimes. I mean, so, it's uh, a trend that I really can't stand. And there's in the old days, like when I was fighting, when I was in my twenties, and you know, before I got the opportunity to fight for the Commonwealth and other titles, you know, you take fights against anyone, anywhere. Because there wasn't much happening at home. These days, these fighters don't want to get, go out of their own town. They don't want to fight any... You know, they pick and choose their opponents and they, their records are padded until they finally have to get step up and then they get stiffened. They get beaten. You know? They're a bit precious nowadays. Yeah. It's, it's so you said... So, so no serious fighter like Tyson Fury, they would not even contemplate fighting someone unless the money was in the bank before they fought, or does that not is that not realistic to say that um, the money, the majority of the time they work on um, a guarantee, a guarantee up front plus a percentage of pay per view sales. So quite often you wouldn't know how much it's going to be. But someone like Tyson Fury, um, you know, he's just making incredible money. I don't know if, don't know if you saw his last fight, but he looked terrible. Uh, I still thought he won it, but he was he was dreadful, and he got knocked down against Nagano, who was a UFC champion. And uh, I, look, I think you'll probably see a rematch. And it wasn't Tyson Fury; who was well overweight, and he's a well-known party animal. He thought it was going to be an easy fight. I think I actually met him when he was out here for the uh, Joseph Parker fight, and seemed like a very nice chap. You know, quite quite humorous. You know, and very and, and a great fighter when yeah. he's at his best. Uh, so. You uh, are an analyst or an analyzer. You analyze fights on for Fox. Yep. Do they ever tell you? So if you dis, if you think that decision, it, do they ask you not to be too tough on the decision, or could you have free carte blanche to say, well, that is ridiculous? No, I'll no, they're pretty they're pretty free with with us, and um, you know if we think a decision is wrong, we'll we'll and you know Jeff pretty outspoken. I, I, I saw Jeff's. I saw Jeff. Jeff say that one day, not pretty recently, he said, "I tell you, I have no. Uh, this is ridiculous. That is just wrong. That decision." Well, what happened a couple of months ago? One of Jeff's fighters got cut, and uh, it was if if the, the fight only had to go another thirty or forty seconds, and it was going would go to a decision rather than be a, a win to the other guy. And Jeff, the doctor, was going to stop it, and I was sitting next to. Dr. Lou Lewis, who's you know been the doctor for a long time, he goes, this doctor doesn't know what he's doing. And Jeff copped a lot of flack because he basically jumped in and said to the doctor, let me do it, you know, I'll fix it. And the doctor bowed to Jeff's wishes and a lot of people thought that was seriously wrong. But his fighter ended up getting the decision, which was correct, was the way it should have gone. So, and he, you know, he... He did. He did the right thing, even though he he did probably overstep the mark. But the doctor was in the wrong to start with. Yeah. So, you know, where do you take that one? You know, the doctor was wrong, and the Dr. Lou Lewis said to me, "This doctor doesn't know what he's doing." So, Jeff did the right thing by his boxer, which is what you always try to do. 
Now, uh, what about uh, the old uh, chestnut, uh, drugs in uh, boxing, whether they be recreational or performance enhancing? Uh, is that a, is that pretty well policed, or is it uh, people just sort of only uh, only in world title fights or major title fights? I was drug tested maybe half a dozen times as champion, um, but I was offered when I was in the UK. I was offered um, basically, you know, roids that I t- was told would have increased my physical strength by up to forty percent. I thought, oh sh- shit, I'll be throwing them out of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> but I, there's no way knowing I would do that either. Which you know, again, it sickens me if you know. If you have to do that to enhance yourself, I mean, get yourself in the best possible physical and mental condition you can, but not drugs. But there are other other types of medication that you can use during. Is this supp- well, no even things that uh, do things or enhance your um, awareness or t- stops bleeding or something like that. Is that uh, there's know, certainly some things out there, isn't there? Um, bleeding. I mean, there's there are legal drugs, you know, to stop. And I had over. Oh God, I've lost three or four hundred stitches in my face and plastic surgery uh, twice and um, you know I was never ever stopped on cuts because my dad was brilliant at stopping the cuts all with legal legal stuff adrenaline and and the right compression yep. spots but yeah it's all look all sorts of things go on in boxing and um, steroids undoubtedly are used by various fighters um, over the years and a lot of them have been bought undone but again it's something that I really you know turn my nose up at it disgusts me to be honest. If you're not good enough to win on your merits, you shouldn't be in there. From when you were when you were competing to where today's boxes are, is obviously there's been a bit of a change. And if there is something, what was what is missing out of today's boxes that you guys did in in your era? <coughs> Probably, as I said before, um, the evenness of you know proper matchmaking. And it's good to see. Like uh, next week, I'm, I'm going to go up and do the. Um, and Nikita Zoo, Dylan Biggs fight. Now, this is a good fight because they're both undefeated. Once someone's O will go, uh, uh, Nikita, I think, 10 wins, 7 knockouts, and Dylan Biggs might be... Dylan Biggs is undefeated as Where's well. Where's that? It's in um, the Horden Pavilion, I think yes, it is. Yes, uh, that's Adelaide, isn't it? Uh, no. no, no, Sydney. Sydney, is it? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I think it's the Horden Pavilion. It's definitely yep. in Sydney anyway. That's pay-per-view? seconds. Pay-per-view, yeah. yeah. It's going to be a really good fight to... to even fighters, but evidently Dylan Biggs, who I've watched, and he's a very good puncher, um, he evidently dropped or knocked down Nikita in a gym spa in the last couple of years and evidently had him in a lot of trouble. So a lot of good judges think that Dylan Biggs is going to win this fight. Uh, Nikita can be nailed. If it, Look, I love watching Nikita Zoo. He's a real character and he's got huge, huge heart. His last fight against Jack Brubaker, he was head-butted severely and they called it a knockdown. Had this massive lump on the side of his rod on his temple. Oh, I watched that. Yeah, and then he got hit with a bomb of a right hand. He wobbled badly, but then he just dug deep and came yeah. back and stopped the guy. So he did. I think Nikita will get over Dylan Biggs. A lot of people think Dylan Biggs is going to win this fight, but I'm going to... And the zoo, one thing about the zoo camp, they are meticulous in the way they prepare for anybody. They study everything. They're just, they're just like scientists when it comes to boxing. They know exactly what they're doing. And I don't think Nikita would be taking this fight unless they thought he was ready to go to the next level. Now, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, which um, um, uh, whether this is sort of just folklore, but I was at a function with Jeff Fennick over in... Uh, Tassie, and he was speaking, very good, he was good, very entertaining. And I don't know if this is right or not, but he said, 
Well, he said this uh, publicly, so I'm not... And he said that... Uh, was it Mike Tyson? Didn't they... They were after a urine sample, didn't he? Uh, he, he uh, they bought someone else's urine in and um, Mike was pretended to uh, urinate into the... Whatever oh, it was, and they so he's, he's saying that Mike was on the gear, yeah. I thought well, he, he more said, or less is, isn't I he? thought he said Mike, unless it was a story that was just a bit exaggerated for. Because uh, I remember thinking, shit, that's extraordinary. And I have heard that done. I heard, I've heard of urines, you know, swap urine being swapped because they do take urine samples. Yeah, um, and I've heard that it's. I've heard. heard well, of, I'm, heard not, of that uh, I'm not. Speaking out of school, because Jeff mentioned this in a... I hope it was Mike Tyson. I thought, I'm sure it was Mike Tyson. Because okay. he knew Mike got on pretty well. Well, him and Mike got on extremely yeah, well. Yeah, so it was, it was him. It was, it was, him, it was yeah. funny because recently, quite recently, Mike Tyson came out and made a comment about how Lester Ellis was the greatest fighter he's seen from Australia. So I don't know whether him and Mike are still as close as they used to be because <laughs> I th- that was a bit of a shock to me. I, I, it was a real shock to me. Someone told me about it and, look, and Lester was a great fighter and, and uh, you know, Lester would have loved to have fought Jeff the same as I would have loved to have fought yep. Jeff and, you know, Bill Morty just uh, insisted it was never going to happen. You had a few knocks to the head, obviously. You've got any... Any uh, CTE? You think you might you start to twitch there? <laughs> you had sixty you, fights, sixty professional yep. fights. I, I I worked it out here. Let me let me read these statistics. But you come out pretty relatively unscathed. I'm pretty lucky. I've, to be honest with you, I got kinged on the street by some junkie about six or seven, seven years ago because my wife was shopping before Christmas and there, there were two dogs, forty six degrees. It was a week before two dogs tied to a pole with no water. We bought some water for them. I was patting them. And this, and all of a sudden I hear, and we'd been out for a big lunch. We'd had a very big lunch. I'd drank quite a bit of wine. And uh, this bloke come up and said, get away from my dogs or I'm going to smash your face and threaten the two of us. And ended up, I ended up saying to him, mate, if you're going to, and he came towards me, he was going to, all I remember he had scars all over his face. And I just said, mate, the last thing I said to him, I said, if you attack me, you might get a surprise because I'm an ex-professional boxer. Well, from there then on it was a blur until I finished him off but when I looked at the footage from the police he threw a left hook at me and I pulled away and he stepped in he hit me flush in the eye with his right hand and yep. you can see the size of this pupil I never used to have to wear glasses after yep. 60 fights um, I've lost about a third of my vision but I ended up seriously beating the crap out of him and did you yeah and threw the security blokes out the way and, and really did a job on him and he, you know, staggered away with his dogs and <coughs> the police looked at it and said, it's obvious he provoked you and attacked you, but you went too far. I said, mate, have a look at my eye. I've got to, yep. There's nothing I can do about it, you know. Uh, I went to crimes compensation. My lawyer said to me, this bloke will never... And the police reckon they couldn't find him, uh, which I thought was unusual. And um, my lawyer said, Barry, I've watched the video. He said, this guy will never be the same because I did do a job on him in the end. <laughs> And said he'll never be the same. Forget about suing him because he's, he'll have nothing and he'll sue you. Mm. So, yeah, it was just unfortunate after all those fights. But, yeah, I, I worked it out and I wrote a thing down here, Sam. It was quite a bit of a shock. But I fought uh, seven three-rounders, one four-rounder, five six-rounders, two eight-rounders, 24 ten-rounders, Nine twelve rounders, eleven fifteen rounders, eleven fifteen rounders, eleven fifteen wow. rounders, and I would and I would have sparred virtually in, well America, the United, uh, Europe, Wales, England, um, Ireland, um, Italy, 
Uh, Hawaii, I lived there for a while, had a couple of fights over there. Tasmania, that was my first overseas fight. So, you know, basically fought all over the world, Indonesia five times. I would have sparred, I've worked it out, a minimum of 50,000 rounds, I reckon. And I'm still sparring a bit now, to be honest, even after a triple bypass, which I had uh, well, nearly two years. We're just going to get onto that in a minute. We're just getting this other uh, <laughs> yep. stuff out. Uh, so, so were you ever... I use the. Were you ever scared, or were you ever reticent to fight someone? Um, then you thought, "Geez, I'm in for. I'm going to get a beaten here." Pro- or pro- no, you probably scared's no, not the right word, but certainly, certainly reticent. <laughs> yes, maybe not reticent either, because if you know, if you train Anxious. for a fight, I mean, when I fought Al Carter, um, a, a black American, they bought out. He'd beat Tommy Hearns and Aaron Pryor in the amateurs. And when I fought him, he had 24 fights, 23 wins by knockout, and the winner was supposed to get a shot at the world title. Uh, and I beat him in an absolute war. No one ever hit me as hard. He had me hurt in the first round. He had me really seriously hurt in round eight. But I never went down. I finished over him in the last two and won the, won the fight. Tough, Did you? tough fight, yeah. But um, before the fight... So many of my friends thought I was going to get seriously hurt because he was just smashing everyone. But, uh, you, you know, you, you sign on the dotted line and you've got to give your best and that's the way it is. So speaking of that, tell me honestly, when you saw Muhammad Ali face up to George Foreman in the, was it the, that was called the Affair in Zaire or whatever it was, when did you honestly think you must? No one in the world would have thought Muhammad Ali. I, I'll Ali be would honest have with you. I was in. I was nineteen. I was in the UK with my parents, and I backed Ali. Did you? Yeah. I just thought he he just had something special. Well, he had something special, incredibly special. And I just and, and George is great. And I've met George. I've interviewed George on two two occasions. Yeah. An absolute gentleman. Had the in Melbourne. I interviewed him in Melbourne twice here. Um, it's, yeah, incredible fighter, and but Ali just had that s- something special, and I knew he would find a way to win, and he did. did you? you know, yeah. That that I remember. He always found him. a way to win. He watched them all: the smart. affair, the rumble, and the thriller, yeah. thriller Manila affair. And there, and I, I uh, Sam, I trained at the Fifth Street Gym in Miami quite a bit. I trained alongside Angelo Dundee. I used to stay at his brother's house, Chris Dundee's house, Chris was in love with my first wife I think he used to you know let me drive him around Miami Beach and and I've I've seen a lot of things in the Fifth Street gym and spoken a lot to the you know the the great Dundee brothers and uh, who trained Muhammad Ali and trained Sugar Ray Leonard and and, and me and other great great fighters so yeah I've, I've sort of been close close to it and seen I, well one, one of the things I saw was Jeff Sims who if you google Jeff Sims he was shot on either five or six different occasions before he was murdered. His family wouldn't want, didn't want to be around him because he attracted lead, they said. <laughs> well, he, he actually split Muhammad Ali's jaw, uh, mouth, sorry, when Ali wore a moustache for a while. He split, him, split he? him right from there right up to his nostril. But Ali, Dundee told me that before Ali retired, after he beat Frazier, the one in yep. Manila, he should never have fought again. No. He had five more fights and end up losing to Trevor Burbick, who wouldn't have carried his bag. Um, and, you know, he just was a sh- shot fighter. And, and Angelo said to me he was showing signs of early onset Parkinson's or whatever. And, I don't, look, basically he was punch drunk in the end. He was slurring his speech, which is a side effect of too many punches to the head. Uh, but they kept pushing him in there. I'm not going to... 
um, coming to any religious aspects of it, but he was being bled. Yeah, pushed by the uh, urges, the yeah, um, Muslim Brotherhood. Well, I'm saying nothing, but it was just terribly sad well, that he had those last five fights. If he hadn't had those last five fights, I, I truly believe he'd probably still be here now. Do you? Yeah. Uh, so, so, did you get on? So all the so it's a, it's a war when you face up to people and you try and belt this living shit out of them. For do you if you. Did you get on with all the people or was there animosity, some lasting animosity with some of the people you fought against or did you usually no, usually I, become reasonably... Yeah, uh, no, virtually everyone I fought, um, even fighters from overseas, even a few that I lost, I'm still in contact with. I still speak to occasionally to Juan Jose Jimenez who beat me in Indonesia in about 1976 when I was about 21 and he was about 28 or 29 and was on a 30-fight winning streak and... I went 10 rounds with him. I knew I lost the fight, and I said, you won the fight before the decision was was announced. And he said to me, E-O-U, piano, piano, slowly, slowly, a champion del mundo. He said, you'll be champion of the world. And I went to Italy and trained with him over there and sparred with him a lot. But you look, you know, so nearly all the fighters I fought, including Leicester, you know, uh, Graham Brooks, um, you know, Joe Gibalisco, hundreds, you know, so many names I, and guys that I sparred, a very tight-knit community. I just came back from Sydney on the weekend. I went up for the veteran boxers uh, get, annual get-together and I caught up with guys that I fought 37 years ago and, you know, it's just terrific. There's a real, is a real camaraderie amongst boxers. Is that working? It is. What's happened to that? I'm you sorry. Touch things. You did what a dog. You touched the touch thing, but it's all right. Just leave it. Oh. It's working. Just <laughs> don't technology. touch it. Technology. So, <laughs> he's, he's a shocker. So I had a few of my major injuries uh, away from the football field. I got run over and punched at my doorstep. And, oh, yes. Uh, but uh, Mr. Gingitano, uh, he finished your career? Or well, they, the, what, well what? you know, it was a... What happened was after I when I fought Leicester, um, by then eight nine eighty five eighty July yeah. twelfth nine eighty five, um, again Alphonse Gangitano and some of his crew um, had basically taken over and the Cosita the the management and promotion of Leicester and and he was like their heavy and I had no issue with Alphonse um, long story but my crew and his crew punched on outside Mickey's disco about ten years before they actually got me in Lazar's and what they did to me in Lazar's. But I never had an issue with him. We used to shake hands. But um, after I beat Leicester, I had two defences in Australia. I then went to the UK for my third defence. Uh, and then I couldn't get a fight. I came home to spend some time in Australia because I was homesick. And I took a young mate of mine to see Jeff Fennick fight Tony Miller um, and my first wife, Sandy, probably the most expensive one. But uh, anyway, we... we um, <laughs> We um, went to the fight and afterwards we got invited to Lazar's and a bottle of champagne came over and said, oh, this is from Mr Gangitano and I waved to him sort of thing and he wanted. they said, oh, he wants to speak to you. So eventually I went over and s- sat with him and, and spoke to him and he was coked off his head or flying or whatever and it got a bit nasty a couple of times but it ended up, you know... I'm not coming good because I was always, always willing to give Lester Ellis a rematch. For a long time I copped copped it whenever I'd go anywhere that I wouldn't give him a rematch, which was never true. Leicester, 30 years later, finally said he never wanted a rematch. I always had his number and I always would have beat him. So Leicester didn't want the rematch. I would have taken it because it would have made me a really good 
purse. It would have been a dangerous war, which Lester was a vicious puncher. But anyway, Gangitano, I end up, I was shaking his hand, saying, "We'll get together with those other guys who I was no longer managed by, which were the ones I mentioned before, next week, and we'll sort this out." And my first wife, all of a sudden, she started screaming, "These dogs! These dogs! They just knocked Simon out coming off the dance floor. Who was 21." They just tapped him on the shoulder and knocked him out. And I turned around for the first time in quite a while and I was surrounded and the first, with all these guys with death in their eyes, at least half mm. a dozen of them. And the first thing I thought was I'm dead. And <clears throat> Gangitano jumped me, pinned me on a like a chair or couch or whatever and latched onto my right cheek with his teeth, tried to bite my cheek off. Uh, I'd never got off the couch. They just hammered the shit out of me. Um, Chopper Reed was there. Chopper reckon thought I would never be the same, wouldn't be able to walk and talk again after the beating I copped. And <coughs> he told me that they smashed me with one of those big glass ashtrays across yep. the nose because my nose was under this left yep. eye. And I had ring marks on my head. I, you know, it was. And eventually I remember a security guy sitting on me saying, stop, stop, you'll kill him because uh, they were still whacking me. I never threw a punch. I never got to throw a punch. Anyway, I got pushed out the front and blood was streaming everywhere. I remember uh, patrons screaming, etc. Got to the front door. The security were definitely part of it or complicit with it. Pushed, pushed me out the front and I remember saying to my first wife, I remember exactly what I said. I said, take me to a hospital. I've got to go to hospital, but I've still got the world title. <laughs> but I had it for four months later. I wasn't the same. I had to have my nose rebroken and constructed. Every time I got hit, it hurt and it would bleed. And then in my last fight with Rocky Lockridge, who was, was a great fighter, Rocky Lockridge, um, one of the greatest I ever fought, he um, broke it in the first minute, first minute of the first round. My buster, my right eardrum in round two, which that was okay. That had been busted four times before. This one had been busted about nine times, my left one. At one stage, they had to graft an eardrum in because it wouldn't heal. Anyway, and then he just kept pounding me on this side of the head, which filled full of blood. But I wasn't the same after the beating. I was just missing punches by a little bit. I just, I think it had taken the desire out of him, but maybe a little bit more. But anyway, at <clears throat> the end of round eight, I walked back to the corner looking like Quasimodo. And he'd hit me with a body shot just before the bell, <coughs> which made me pass blood as well, which was the first time I'd... Actually, the first time I passed blood was Leicester. The second time was Lockridge. And um, my dad said to me, enough, son. And I said, bloody oath. <laughs> and that was it. So I never fought again after mm -hmm. that. I would have come back. I would have come back to fight Jeff. I was never, ever offered a serious, honest fight. I was offered a few shifty ones, and I just wouldn't be involved in that. But after I retired, which was August the 9th, 1987, when I lost to the great Rocky Lockridge, who's no longer with us, ended up dying after a stroke and had serious drug problems with cocaine, etc. <coughs> and I actually sent money over at one stage and got him into a rehab facility and he came good for a couple of years, which was good. But uh, I never fought again after that. But I'm still heavily involved with the sport. Um, this this T-shirt I've got on is... a. Uh, Stephanie Mafongwat, who's a Cameroonian girl who I manage, who clearly beat the girl that beat um, Taylor Harris, clearly beat her over six rounds. This girl has just had another child, so she's going to be out for a little while, but she can remember the name Steph Mafongwat. When you say clearly beat, it wasn't given the... 
well, decision. No, she got the decision. Yeah. Oh, she got the decision. She got the decision oh, against right. the girl that clearly beat. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. So, so you know, she's a gun. But I managed a few fighters. I got a young boy in um, Mildura, Connor Reed, who just had a big knockout win the other night. Yeah. And we're looking at a bantamweight title fight for him. I heard the name. Connor yeah, Reed. but Connor, he's a real good prospect. Now, but yeah, boxing's booming at the moment in Australia even and fema- worldwide. Even female boxers. Female boxers. What are the it. two female girls that are having it in December six? I think isn't it? They're having a fight over in the US. And they're like the the sexiest girls. They they get in their bikinis or they fight in very little. And they the US people they just love them. Honestly, women's boxing. I I back in the old days because I'd been robbed a few times when I was younger. I, my dad and I started promoting my own fights at Williamtown Town Hall. And it's going back in the. Um, 70s, I guess it would have been, or early, maybe very early 80s. We we were basically forced by the Equal Opportunity Board to put on a women's bout. We were one of the first to put on a women's bout in Williamstown Town Hall, and it ended up a disaster because Jack Rennie had this quite a big German girl who could fight, and she fought a rather tubby girl who vomited in the ring, <laughs> and it looked it looked terrible. And I got really bad publicity about it. And I was a little bit anti women boxing then, but since then I've trained some of the greats like Di Prezak. But the greatest female that Australia for me has ever had is Susie Ramadan. We took her to a couple of world titles, and when she actually won the WBC world title, she actually beat a female that was. Um, how can I put this? Potentially a hermaphrodite. A hermaphrodite, yep. yeah. A month yep. later, there was a photo of her with facial hair and wearing a suit with her arm yep. around her girlfriend. And Susie beat her on points in an absolute war to win the WBC world title. Susie Ramadan was, I think, the you know the best female we've had. But you know you've got Shanika Johnson, who's a beat uh, Susie. Susie's forty plus now, but Shanika's a quality fighter as well. Sugar. We've, we've got some real yeah. good female boxers at the moment. I don't. Play, I can't warm. I can't warm to women's boxing. Not, nothing to do with. Nothing to do with. You know, nothing Sam, to do with the by a gen, Nothing to do with that. I just. I just can't warm to it. Yeah, it worried me early, to be honest, about potential injury. But when you see some of these girls, I mean, I, I watched um, Emmanuel. What's her name? Ser- uh, Serrano. Uh, not Emmanuel Serrano. Kate, uh, Katie Taylor versus Serrano. Anyway, it was. Incredible, incredible yep. world championship fight. As good um, as any blokes fight you've watched. That's right. Step out here and they beat the living suitcase out here. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's nothing to do. It's like no, the I, under, I understand a lot of people, I can watch but it, it's yeah. it's becoming more and more um, popular. And now, um, I think it's is it Victoria. I think we've just moved to because women go, men fight three minute rounds. Um, and women have been fighting two-minute rounds, but a lot of the women want to fight three-minute rounds, and I think it's Victoria might be the first state that have... Well, it's either Victoria or New South Wales. One of the states it has changed it to three-minute rounds for women's boxing, which I think is probably a good idea. And, I, look, I'm 100%, 110% behind them now because yeah. they train the same, they spar, you know, they, and, and they do a great job. You know, so no I, different. No. No difference in rules or anything? No. No, you can't hit them low. No, can't hit them no. in the uh, in the um, well, in, what do you call it? The um, <laughs> pod or no? What are the, so it doesn't no such. Everyone, everyone has any woman ever been um, cautioned for hitting low? Well, I'm sure it's happened. Have they? But I'm sure it's happened, but it's not the same as hitting a man <laughs> low, is it? <laughs> not <laughs> hitting the plums and yeah, giving exactly. the bell, bells a jangle. No. <laughs> yeah, but no. Look, women's boxing is booming, and I'm I'm hundred percent behind it now. 
Now, uh, just before, I want to ask you one more question. Anyway, let me just finish with something. That, yes, go that ahead. beating in Lazar's finished my career. Oh, so yes. Gangitano and that. And years later, I met the owners of Lazar's who said, why didn't you sue us? You know, which, cause, and I, but at the time, they were, there was people being bumped off left, right yep. and centre and I didn't fancy someone in my family potentially getting no. knocked off. So and, um, I never did it. But they finished my career for sure. And, of course, he, the cowards got their comeuppance. He uh, yes. got uh, dealt with anyhow, didn't he? He did, he did. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, I don't think any of them are with us still. No. They're all gone. So, so speaking of Lester Ellis, you, you are... Doing some gigs on the road with him when uh, beside your uh, commentary and uh, yep. sparring and all what you do, you're, you're, you're doing the tour, the speaking tour we with are. Lester. That must be an experience. We've just started it, and look, Lester's been fantastic. We had a, a weekend in Mildura where we um, we went and trained, and Lester was is terrific with the young kids. He jumped in with all these young kids, was taking them through punches, and and you know we 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 went to the amateur fights. We spoke at two different functions and you know Lester was brilliant he did a great job and he was well and it was I think with me with him I was sort of uh, prompting him and asking him certain things and he did a great job and ever since then we've we're now starting to get some serious bookings so if anyone yes. wants wants to contact me um or or Lester they can ring me on 0413 654 um Bruce Eva is also part of our team. He's uh, going to work as the MC on oh four one three six five four nine nine nine. But oh. uh, we've got a few bookings coming up. I believe uh, Graham Brooks is working on one in Alice Springs for us. Um, but yeah, and Lester said to me after we'd had a, a, a terrific day at a couple of gigs and made some really good money and and met some terrific people. We were back in the bar at about eleven thirty that night having a drink, and he goes, Baz. Why haven't we been doing this for the last thirty odd years? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I said, "Yeah, good idea." That's a good. And good so, uh, through the course of uh, doing these gigs, you've learned uh, some interesting things about Lester. In uh, that he, uh, you thought he'd bought some livestock, uh, he'd started a farm, but it turned out to be not quite the livestock that uh, people would associate with farmers. No, he bought twenty-four camels. <laughs> Why did he? Why buy did them? he bite twenty-four camels? Because Lester's um, obsessive compulsive. At one stage, at one stage, he had a hundred ferrets. Ferrets, uh, ferrets. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, two ferrets is enough to stink your house out, <laughs> but a hundred. But Lester, <laughs> you go to Lester's house, and it, when he looks after his pets, dogs, he one say he's got a bat, he's got a few few uh, whippets at the moment. Um, he's got a hundred pigeons. It, he doesn't do things in small ways, but. They're always immaculate, you know, and his house is immaculate. He's obsessive compulsive in a lot of ways, Lester, but he's um, he does a great job. He just loves his animals. He loves fishing. He's a very out, outdoor type of bloke, Lester. So why did he buy the camels? Why did he buy the camels? He just loved the, the animals, and uh, then a few days later, after he had them on his property, he got a knock on the door, and <laughs> was the police, and they said, Lester, do you own all these camels? He said, why? He said, oh, they're all, they've got out, they're all walking down the... F- down the freeway single file. <laughs> <laughs> so, had to go and round them up. So, Barry, so 
You uh, you had some bad experience with the uh, the COVID um, situation. I know it's been well documented, but uh, it's uh, knocked you about. And uh, you're on a not a crusade, but uh, I say we had Dr. Robbie Peterson on here, who spoke voluminously about uh, just the dangers of all this and uh, how we've been hoodwinked. Yeah. And um, people have been put off the social media for the conspiracy theorists and uh, for misinformation. But that's all starting to do a full circle. It's starting to come back uh, to uh, bite them on the bum, the people who have been warning us. Certainly is, and uh, AstraZeneca, which I had two jabs, is now banned in Australia for causing blood clots and low blood platelets. My wife, who passed away May 7th from a brain tumour, she had three, uh, told her not to get the third one, and not long before she passed away, she said, it's karma what's happened because I didn't listen to her. Right from the time she had the uh, the tumour removed... Um, she had blood clots right throughout her body and extremely low blood platelets, which meant she, meant she couldn't fight any infection. They got, I lost track of the amount of transfusions she had. But with me, I had my first jab on the 8th of September 2021, uh, and a, the doctor told me I had a little bit of blood pressure and, little, and cholesterol was a little bit high, but I had no blockages. I had an angiogram because I got chest pain. Yet, let's just over a month later, the 23rd of October, I had the second one. Uh, and then a few weeks after that, uh, I was playing eight ball at a mate's place. And he said, are you OK? And I said, why? He said, you, you're struggling to breathe properly. And I said, yeah, and I've got pain in the chest. So I ended up going to the doctor and uh, they rushed. They just said, look, you've, you know, you've got high blood pressure. We've got to get you in for an angiogram. And all of a sudden, I've got three blocked arteries Whereas, you know, five weeks before I didn't have any blocked arteries, I might have had a bit of blood pressure and a bit of cholesterol, didn't have any blocked arteries. All of a sudden I've got three blocked arteries, two at 95%. And if you have a look at, uh, have a look at the... Yep, you can see the clots in the, mm. in the yep, corners. So my blood clotted on me, which is now people are suing AstraZeneca for causing this. And I have no doubt, I was still, weeks before this, I was still training, still sparring. And when this all happened, they um, got me into, they took me into Royal Melbourne, told me they were going to put three stents in me and morphine me up. And I said, they said, you can watch us do it if you want to actually insert the stents. So I said, I would. And I'm pretty deaf. So I'm laying there and I'm watching my heart on the screen and all the doctors are talking. And I'm laying there wondering, waiting for them to do something. And all of a sudden, they're wheeling me out. And I said, what's going on? They said, no, the doctors have decided they're too severe, the blockages. We're putting you in an ambulance to Cabrini for a triple bypass. So then I did seriously shit myself, to be honest, because, you know, they took the vein from my left arm from there to there, two out of my right leg, and I've got the massive scar down the middle. And look, to be honest with you, I'm lucky to be here because... um, Well, and and I am 110% convinced my doctor months ago, six months ago, I talked to him about this and he was about 50-50, but I think now what's come out about AstraZeneca being banned for causing exactly what happened to me, uh, I think I'm going to go and see him in the next day or two. I am seriously um, keen on starting a lawsuit against AstraZeneca myself because I shouldn't have had to go through what I did and I'm lucky to be here. So so it's all right for the rank and file to uh, uh, complain about all this, but there's some very high-profile high-profile sports people yes. who have uh, many uh, suffered from it and some of them passed away. Yep. I think you mentioned Marvin Hagler. Did Marvin you? Hagler, the great Marvin Hagler, um, 
dropped dead. Uh, he, he collapsed and was taken to ICU and then a couple of days later they let him go home and he just dropped dead at home. And, uh, uh, and how were they able to sheet that home to um, the vaccine? Good question. I mean, it hasn't. It's just it's just been talked about, and nothing's happened over it. Uh, and you know, Marvin Hagler was one of the greatest fighters of yes. all time, and a super healthy guy. I, I met him in Vegas, you know, a few years before he passed away, and he he looked in terrific condition. And and yeah, you know, it's just it's just another one of the many many. People that and famous people too that you know have had side effects from the vaccine. There's, there's going to be much more. Uh, you know, there's that big article in the Herald Sun about the class action in the UK over the AstraZeneca people. You know, and the Ellis the Ellis camp. They've got quite a few gyms. They've told me the, the amount of young people that they had collapsed that didn't drink or smoke collapse after the needles and rushed to hospital with heart issues, and you know causes. My, uh, myocarditis, uh, um, you know, blockages, all sorts of things, and it's it's becoming more and more Just prevalent. Just uh, for my own uh, edification, who was the famous fighters? Hagler fought. What was his the other man? Marvin Hagler fought Sugar Ray twice. Um, Sugar Ray Leonard. Leonard. Yeah. No, what was the? Uh, uh, sorry, fought Sugar Ray once, and it was his last. It was uh, Marvin Hagler and marvelous Marvin Hagler fought couple, three times. Another another man, famous man. Roberto Duran, he, fought, he beat Duran on points, only fought him once. No, I got that right. No, Who you else haven't did mentioned he him fight? yet. Let me think. No, I will. So, so... But Marvin Hagler was one of the greatest middleweights of all time. Yeah, he, I, I've watched, yep, seen yeah, him. Southpaw and... Is it... Now, is it unlawful? So, so if the government decree that um, COVID's back and uh, you've got to have uh, vaccinations again and you can't get into a restaurant and you can't go out there unless you're... or the health department... Is it unlawful for people like you or me or uh, Dr um, Robbie Peterson to advise people to refrain from getting any further vaccines? Is that's that a good... That's a very good question, Sam. Can you I, be, I don't uh, think it, I can don't you think be it rounded up for... Um, I don't know, being a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, or well, I don't think it should be. It would be illegal. Um, it just, as we know, when we went through the pandemic, uh, if you weren't vaccinated, you were treated like a leper. Uh, there's yeah. a very, very good friend of mine who, Glenn Walsh, a former boxer, one of my great sparring partners, he refused to be vaccinated, and his whole family turned on him, and uh, it was terrible to watch. And you know, some of them have had some side effects since too. Um, but yeah, there's quite a few people I know that weren't vaccinated, and I mean it was interesting to hear what the Dr. great Peterson Novak said. Djokovic uh, wasn't allowed in here, and suddenly yeah, well, he, he was back. Yeah, good on him for standing up for yep. his rights. I mean, I think it was terrible that we were forced. Uh, everyone was forced, and it was just look. I've had COVID twice, and the first time I got it, I was double vaccinated, and I've never had a worse sore throat in my life. I was, but I wasn't real crook, and I probably had worse flus. But the second time I got it was a year or so after I had had a vaccination and I tested positive for five days and I had... The only issues I had was hay fever and ever since then I've had really bad hay fever. But I was over it in five days and I had no really serious serious effects from it. I think the moral of the story, though, is that you should be always getting checked because I think three of my good friends... Have either had blockages, have had put stents in or bypasses. Yep. One's only 32, one's in his 40s and the other one's mid-50s. Well, that's crazy. And it is. And 
I think two of them are unvaccinated, one was vaccinated, so it's going to happen to anyone because health doesn't discriminate, I guess. So it's really important. I think a good friend of yours has just gone in on Tuesday to have a uh, a heart operation or a heart check because he just went and checked and then they found out. So I think people should be, or men, should be a lot more vigilant. Yeah, it's certainly um, certainly been a real prevalence of heart issues ever since the vaccine, much, much more. And it was interesting to hear what... Dr. Peterson also said that the um, incidence of all types of cancers has gone through the roof as well, which, you know, I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, the world's gone mad. The world has gone mad. I'm yeah. trying to find who... Uh, I thought Marvin Hagler... It's doing your head in, isn't it? It's annoying me. Uh, so, Barry, um, this has been... Um, Sam, you want me to bring his record up? Just give me a yeah, minute. Yeah, I'm, I'm Googling it at the minute. Marvellous Marvin Hagler fought... Oh, <laughs> His last fight was a disputed loss to the great Sugar Ray Leonard. Was it um, Sugar Ray Leonard? I didn't think it was Sugar Ray Leonard. No, he only fought Sugar Ray the once, I think. Um, but I'll tell you. Anyhow, uh, while we're doing this, uh, oh, shit, I can't find it. Good on right. you. If you want to look on anything with boxing, go to Box, box Rec. Um, Anyhow, I can't find it. I'll, I'll find it in about Doesn't a second. Matter. Hang on one second. Uh, well, you'll have to hurry because we're going <laughs> to... Okay, uh, it'll only give me... No, that's all right. Marvellous Marvin Hagler box wreck, 5 foot 8, 62 wins, 3 losses, 2 draws. 50 who, who did he lo- lose to? He, he lost l- to Lost one of these to this person I'm trying to think yeah, of. Yeah, well, his last loss was... Um, yeah, no, nah, the only Kevin loss... Kevin Finnegan? You, you would, the only no. loss that would you would realise was his very last fight... Tommy Hearns, he knocked uh, Tommy, uh, he knocked Tommy Hearns. He knocked Tommy Hearns no, out in three. No, that's the man. <laughs> Hearns, Hagler. Yeah, they we, were legendary fights. How many times he fought him? No, no, I think he only fought Tommy the once. Oh, and he, did he? He knocked him out. He knocked <laughs> Tommy out in three rounds. Oh, then sure. he knocked out John Mugabe in eleven <laughs> rounds. Tommy uh, Hearns was the man I was thinking of. And then his last fight was uh, on the sixth of the fourth, nineteen eighty-seven, and he lost a split decision over twelve rounds to the great Ray Leonard. Thought he was robbed and never fought again. Retired. But w- what a record he's got yeah. there. Uh, Roy Jones. He stopped Roy Jones in three. Roy Jones. Him. Manny Pacquiao. I know he no, didn't no, fight. Manny, no, I know Manny he didn't fight him, small. but uh, what a fighter he was. Manny Pacquiao, oh, incredible fighter. Eight, the only person who I think will ever win eight eight different weight yep. divisions from, yep. uh, from around about, in the old language, from about eight stone yep. to 11 stone. Eight different weight divisions, and unheard uh, uh, of. And yeah. a bit like you, uh, a bit like you, Barry. Uh, Penny, Manny Pacquiao is a member of uh, the government over yes, in Thailand. Is he? Where is he? Thai? Where no, is he? Philippines. Philippines. He, actually, he actually ran for the presidency last year. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, he. He, um, he, he, he would have bloody near got there. Well, he didn't he? get it, um, and it was hard to believe one of the. Um, one of the, I think, grandchildren of the Marcos family is now the president. Oh, I see. Which I would have thought and rather... I say rather a parallel surprising. career to you, Barry, because you had a crack at the Palmer United Party for the Senate in 2013. Yes, and I did. And um, to be honest with you, um, Cl- uh, Clive, I'm still a great believer of thinking he would have been a terrific leader for the country because he's a, you know, yep. a genius in his own right and a self-made billionaire. And with a lot of principle, but he, uh, I think he ruined him, ruined his any chance of doing anything because he made some bad cracks at Rupert Murdoch, and you just can't do that. But um, <laughs> with me, he turned on me because about a week or so before the election, 
I did an interview on radio and I was asking, should Mick Gatto be allowed to have a promoter's licence? And I said, well, let's be realistic. I said, Mick Gatto was a fighter himself. He fought on the prelims, you know, on the, yep. some of the shows I fought on. And I said, he, um, he's uh, never been convicted of a major crime. I said, he was charged with a murder and was yep. found not guilty on the grounds yep. of self-defence. I said, he had a minor conviction for... 20 years ago and hadn't had any other serious convictions and I said the biggest promoter in world history is probably Don King Yep, he's done time for murder and numbers racketeering and he's actually done time for two murders so I said well based on those statistics you know I think you know Mick knows the fight game and I tried to tell Mick that he cost me the election but he just couldn't understand it because Clive turned against me and I didn't get a single preference I got, I forget the figure, but I got over well over 100,000 votes and I lost to Ricky Muir who got 2,500 and I, lo- I lost on preferences. Because well, Clive turned against me and I didn't get preferences from family first or anyone because of what I said about Mick. But anyway, that's another story. Yeah, no, we've had Mick on the podcast <laughs> here and spoke to him about... Mick and that. I get along fine. No, Mick's uh, good. I yeah. get on very well with Mick. Yeah. Uh, uh, treat people as you find them. He's a very good man. Mick, yeah. uh, you know, seriously... Um, now, Michael, uh, Michael, Barry, I, I was going to, yeah, I know your son's uh, doing it tough at the minute, um, must be uh, tough on you as a father. Um, Zach is... Uh, locked up. Oh, well, he's locked up, mate, so... Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, this is something I'd like to say to all, all the parents out there, you know, this, this drug of ice, it's just destroying communities, what I saw in America last year, you know, whole suburb with just people, you know, on meth. Um, it's just the lowest drug on earth. It just it, it turns people into psychopath, turns and makes them violent. It is actually the it's the lowest drug on, of all time. What it does to people. Yeah. Well, we hope uh, that have, hope that takes a turn for the better in your life, um, Barry. Well, he's he should be out relatively soon. Um, and you know he's passed some psychological examinations in inside, and hopefully he's going to be okay. But um, ice does cause permanent damage. It's um, you know not. I won't even go into the drugs, what other drugs do. But ice, methamphetamine causes serious long-term damage, psychological damage. You know, changes people's personalities, and yeah, it's the it's the lowest drug. And they've got to seriously start coming down a lot heavier on the. Big dealers. The great Barry Michael, Swettenham. The yep. great Barry Michael. So thank you very much for joining us thank on You Cannot Be Serious, Barry. Thank you, Sam. It's a pleasure. You, it's great, great to see you too, Sue. And thank you so much, Sam. You're doing a wonderful job. And my podcast, my boxing podcast, will be kicking off again shortly. We've had a break because I, my wife passed away May 7th. Yep. And uh, my partner, Bruce Eva, has been quite busy. But I'm going to, you know, until Bruce is ready, I'm going to start doing some myself. I've got uh, Nikita Zoo through Glenn Jennings, who's the zoo managers. I'm going to... Uh, interview both the zoo boys and and many others and if you would like the the ellis michael combination to come and uh, regale you with uh, some stories and uh, about boxing whether they make them up or they're real <laughs> you can ring barry on zero four one three six five four triple nine how easy is that six five four triple nine zero four one three yep exactly sam thank you so much you're a legend Thanks, sir. So we are. So we. I'm open around the streets late at night. I'm worried.
cause you ain't treating me right. Come back again. 